So over the past two weeks here on Mapstronaut Bonus, we've been discussing the indigenous cultures that have inhabited Arkansas, working chronologically from the Paleo-Indian period. Now we've arrived at the Woodland period, and there's a lot to talk about. Seriously, I have 11 pages of bullet point notes about this topic, and I'm going to try to condense it slightly because... Honestly, I talk about this at work all the time, and this week was exhausting to prepare for and write because it totally obliterated the boundary between work and recreation for me. So my sincerest apologies in advance if I don't get too in the weeds or if I do get too in the weeds on this week's episode. Uh, Anyway, let's go. The Woodland Period is a name for the time between roughly 600 BCE and 1000 CE in North America. It was marked by a dramatic increase in sedentism, population, and complex organization. Around 600 BCE, Native Americans in Arkansas were probably living in small groups that were tied together by collective ritual, including burial that sometimes involved the construction of small mounds. By the end of the period, around 1500 years later, Large populations lived in towns with multiple mounds that were ruled by hereditary elites in in some areas, and maize had become the predominant food for many peoples. Like all the other periods we've talked about, the Woodland Period is divided into three sub-periods, Early, Middle, and Late. The Early Woodland Period was between 600 and 200 BCE and was marked by the beginning of widespread pottery use across the region. Some of this pottery had distinctive designs on the exterior, but plain surface pottery was more common in Arkansas. Elsewhere in the Mississippi River Valley, geometric motifs formed by individual cord impressions, fabric marking, and cord marking were common. The pottery was not well fired and probably wasn't suitable for cooking for long periods at high temperatures. Like people in the Archaic period, people continued using darts propelled by atlatls. The stone projectile points used on these darts were about two inches long with stemmed or notched bases, but were otherwise pretty similar to those produced in the late Archaic period. No information about early woodland foodstuffs has been found in Arkansas, but it has in other parts of the Mid-South, and we can use that information to make assumptions about Arkansas. Key staples of the diet included hickory nuts, acorns, and white-tailed deer. There's archaeological evidence from the Archaic period of people in Arkansas growing goosefoot, squash, gourds, sumpweed, sunflowers, and maygrass. So it is likely that the cultivation of those crops continued into the woodland period. Modern studies have shown that these crops were able to produce yields similar to that achievable by maize, which was not widely or intensively cultivated until around 900 CE, in Arkansas at least. Uh, Communities remained fairly small during the early woodland period, probably consisting of only a few structures and probably no more than 50 to 60 people. Moving on to the middle woodland period, which took place between around 200 BCE and 300 CE. It was marked by the rise and then decline of a vast exchange network throughout uh, throughout eastern North America. This exchange network moved goods all around the east, including materials like copper from the Great Lakes area, mica from the southern Appalachians, and shells from the Gulf Coast. Another interesting thing in the Middle Woodland period was the widespread, though not numerous, construction of small conical burial mounds. 
This increase in mound construction was not, however, accompanied by major changes in community or settlement organizations. People continued living in small communities of several circular or oval structures. There may have been a tribal form of social organization present at the time, but it's really too hard to say for sure. Some ceremonial mound complexes did start to pop up in the Mid-South during this time period, including Marksville in Louisiana and Pinson Mounds in western Tennessee. These complexes include earthen embankments and cover hundreds of acres. However, even these large mound centers didn't support large resident populations, and instead appear to have served as locations where peoples from many different groups or over large areas came together to participate in collective ceremonies. The best-known site in Arkansas is at the southern end of Crowley's Ridge in Helena. It was a group of five burial mounds, with two dated between 100 BCE and 100 CE. Those two were excavated in 1960, but the others were destroyed by development before they could be properly studied. During the excavation, the remains of 28 individuals were uncovered. Many of the dead were buried in large pits covered with logs, while others were placed on the surface of a mound during construction and then covered with soil. Some of the dead were buried with exotic items like copper objects, shell beads, conch shells, and mica. The Fushmaline culture peaked during the Middle Woodland period, uh, appearing at around 300 BCE before disappearing around 800 CE. They lived in southeastern Oklahoma, southwestern Arkansas, northwestern Louisiana, and northeastern Texas. Through trade, they brought in exotic goods, including freshwater pearls, shark's teeth, and copper. They also produced pottery tempered with grog, which is crushed fragments of broken pottery and burned clay, as well as with bone, grit, and sand. Then finally, we have the Late Woodland Period, which was a time of increasing agricultural intensification and population growth in many areas that began around 300 CE. It was also characterized by a comparative lack of the non-local artifacts and materials that have been seen in the previous 500 years. A lot of important changes happened during the late woodland period, including evidence of population growth and the development of larger settlements. Around 700 CE, the bow and arrow appeared on the scene, which was a technological revolution. We know that it occurred during this time because of the widespread appearance of small triangular and notched arrow points. Again, relatively little is known about the diet of the people in Arkansas at this time, but we do know that in southwest Missouri, people were cultivating maygrass, goosefoot, knotweed, sunflowers, and sumpweed. So, probably also the case in Arkansas? Nuts and deer were likely also a big part of the diet, uh, with the addition of fish, especially in the Delta. Ceramics produced in the late woodland were technologically superior to those produced earlier in the woodland period. They were stronger and able to withstand higher temperatures for longer periods of time. This change was probably linked with changes in the way that certain foods were prepared and in the specific foodstuffs that were used. Nuts and oily, starchy seeds were major parts of the diet, and were often cooked into stews, porridges, and other food that was cooked for a long time. Exterior surfaces of the pottery were either smoothed or roughened with a cord-wrapped paddle. Um, in the last several hundred years of the late woodland period, around 700 to 1000 CE, 
maize agriculture, relatively large towns, and shell-tempered ceramics were developed or introduced. In fact, the proliferation of maize marks the end of the woodland period. More sites from the late woodland period have been found, which has allowed researchers uh, to better understand a wider variety of cultures that lived during this time period than time periods before. Around 300 CE, a culture rose in eastern Arkansas, western Tennessee, Louisiana, and western Mississippi. Today we know these people as the Baytown culture. The Baytown culture was named for the Baytown site, located on the White River at Indian Bay in Monroe County. People of the Baytown culture lived in small, scattered communities, and they depended primarily on hunting and fishing with little farming. The Baytown site consisted of nine mounds arranged around an open plaza. The two tallest mounds were 20 and 10 feet tall, with all others being 5 feet tall or shorter. It's actually pretty similar to a site built by the next culture I want to talk about, which makes sense because there isn't actually a sharp dividing line between the Baytown and the following Plum Bayou culture. They overlap in time and location, and pottery with Plum Bayou decorative motifs have been found at late Baytown sites. The Plum Bayou culture is not only one of the earliest groups to build ceremonial centers with platform mounds and rectangular plazas, it's also one of the more well-studied woodland period cultures in Arkansas. Between around 650 and 1050 CE, people of the Plum Bayou culture built religious centers that were used for religious and social activities. They lived primarily on the floodplains of the Arkansas and White Rivers, but also in some of the adjacent uplands. Plum Bayou people grew domesticated plants that are native to eastern North America, including maygrass, little barley, amaranth, and goosefoot, as well as lesser amounts of sunflower, sumpweed, knotweed, squash, and bottle gourds. Corn was a minor plant present in late Plum Bayou sites. Acorns and hickory nuts were also major elements of their diet, as well as wild fruits including persimmons, plums, cherries, and various berries and grapes. People hunted white-tailed deer, squirrels, raccoons, turkeys, passenger pigeons, ducks, and geese. Additionally, fish and aquatic turtles were caught and played a part in the diet of the Plum Bayou culture. Diet varied with season, depending on what food was accessible at any given time. Uh, archaeologists have actually found remains of houses at a few excavated Plum Bayou sites, and those remains indicate that the houses were apparently made of a, a pole framework with cane mats for walls and grass thatch for roof. The support posts of the pole framework survive as dark round stains of soil in the ground known as post molds, and burned and charred cane mats and thatch are evidence of construction materials. Plum Bayou people made tools from wood, cane, bark, and vines. Pottery was tempered with grog and included conical jars used in cooking and storage, as well as bowls. Most Plum Bayou pottery was undecorated, but some was painted red. Uh, others have various designs incised or punched into the upper rim of the vessel. Overall, there seems to be a strong connection with contemporary styles present in the lower Mississippi Valley and along the Gulf Coast which tracks because we believe they had contact with early Caddoan groups in the Red and Washita River Valleys and upstream along the Arkansas River into Oklahoma, with early Mississippian culture up the White, Black, and St. Francis Rivers in Northeast Arkansas, 
and with the Coles Creek culture in the lower Mississippi River Valley. Stone tools utilized by the Plum Bayou people were made of both fine grain materials, such as chert, novaculite, and quartz crystal, uh, that contain silica and can be chipped into shape, as well as dense materials that were ground into shape. Stone is uncommon in the area where the Plum Bayou people lived. While some chert was gathered from river cobbles, more was brought in from the Ozarks, especially along the White and Black Rivers. Other stones like novaculite, quartz, sandstone, quartzite, shale, and siltstone were sourced from the Washita's. Tools included arrow points, knives, and scrapers for hunting and butchering animals, preparing skins, and making tools from cane, wood, and bone. Uh, axes and adzes used for woodworking, and sandstone tools used to grind seeds and crack nuts. However, not all items found at Plum Bayou sites were utilitarian or common. They did have some that were more special and perhaps luxury items. Some of these were made from raw materials that came from considerable distances, including beads made from snail and conch shells from the Gulf Coast, as well as fragments of copper from the Great Lakes area. Material, or the finished items themselves, were likely obtained by trade with neighboring groups of people rather than the Plum Bayou people traveling great distances to obtain the materials. Some of these items were buried as grave goods. Others may have been limited to being owned by leaders or were used in special activities. Other ornaments included hairpins and small perforated discs that were perhaps clothing ornaments, both made from deer bone. Additionally, there were thin rectangular stone bars with two perforations that may have been worn on the chest as ornaments. Red, yellow, and white paints made from hematite, limonite, and galena were also present. Religious items included effigy figurines of birds made from clay and stone. Some birds, including woodpeckers, barred owls, hawks, eagles, and pelicans, were likely caught for feathers or to make fans of the whole wing rather than for food. Pipes were made of a dull pink siltstone and clay. Most Plum Bayou people lived in small villages with multiple households or in single household farmsteads on high ground adjacent to streams, lakes, and abandoned river channels. Land adjacent to new channels flooded frequently while the land near abandoned channels was more protected so most villages were built near abandoned channels. Daily activities were devoted to obtaining food and making the items that they needed to live comfortably. Activities changed seasonally, planting crops in the spring, tending to them and catching fish in the summer, hunting deer and collecting hickory nuts and acorns in the fall. And let's be real, there are some people in Arkansas that are still living lives that aren't too different from that. People traveled to religious centers throughout the year for ceremonies. Social and religious leaders probably lived at those centers where they planned and directed the construction of the mounds. They conducted religious ceremonies and organized people to provide for feasts and distributed food to those who needed it. Raw materials for non-utilitarian items would also be brought into these areas where they could be utilized by the leaders and their families. Plum Bayou communities are size-ranked into four groups. Single household, which were occupied by a single family who hunted, farmed, and collected wild foods within a few miles of their home. Multiple household, which was occupied for several years 
and people farmed the land around the village and hunted and collected wild food from the surrounding area. Multiple households with mound, most single mound sites have been destroyed by modern farming and are difficult to identify. And multiple mound sites, which is, again, where leaders lived. Between 900 and 1000 CE, other cultures in neighboring regions became powerful, uh, including Spiro near present-day Fort Smith, people in the Red River Valley of southwest Arkansas, Oklahoma, Louisiana, and Texas, people near the Yazoo and Lower Red River in Louisiana and Mississippi, the Mississippian culture in northeast Arkansas, Tennessee, Missouri, Kentucky, and Illinois. These cultures had more complex social organization, and their leadership had a greater accumulation and display of wealth than the Plum Bayou. They were also more dependent on maize agriculture and built sturdier houses in larger villages. Pottery making continued to improve, and pieces became more elaborately constructed and decorated. But we'll talk more about that next week. For now, what you need to know is that, for some unknown reason, the Plum Bayou culture did not adopt these changes, and their religious centers were abandoned. While people continued to live in the area, they were no longer using the Plum Bayou Mound sites. Speaking of Plum Bayou Mound sites, let's talk about a few of those. The Hayes site is located near Biomedo in Arkansas County, and consists of four platform mounds with a plaza. The Roland site is on Dry Lake, an extinct channel of the White River, also in Arkansas County. The two best-known Plum Bayou sites are both located in southern Lone Oak County, in the area around the town of England. The smaller of which is the Coy site, located near Coy to the east of England. The site was occupied between 700 and 1000 CE. It once consisted of four mounds, several flat-top platform mounds, and at least one burial mound as well as extensive midden areas. Two platforms were documented in 1883 when they were measured at 13 and 10 feet. The burial mound was eight feet. There was also a low mound of undetermined function. Today, only the largest platform mound survives. It's located on private property, but can be seen from the highway. Just look to the north as you travel along US 165 between Coy and England. It's in a field and topped by trees. However, there is a Plum Bayou site that is much easier to visit, and you can actually get closer to the mounds. One of the largest archaeological sites in the Arkansas and Lower Mississippi River Valleys is located north of England, on the west side of US-165. The Toltec Mound site was built by the people of the Plum Bayou culture between 650 and 1050 CE. It covers about 100 acres, and is situated on the bank of Mound Lake, an oxbow lake that was part of a channel abandoned by the Arkansas River. Three sides of the site were bounded by a ditch and a 10-foot-high earthen embankment. Over the course of about 300 years, people built 18 mounds, which were intentionally arranged around two rectangular open spaces that were used for ceremonies. The largest mound on the site, Mound A, is actually the largest Native American mound in the state, standing at just about 49 feet tall. Mound B, the second tallest, is around 39 feet tall. And Mount C, the final remaining mound still standing, is just shy of 14 feet tall. All other mounds on the site were less than 4 feet high. However, they were also all destroyed by agriculture over the course of the 200 or so years since industrial agriculture began on the Delta. 
One mound, Mound C, has been identified as a burial mound. Mounds A and B were likely platforms upon which the residences of religious leaders were built. Other mounds probably had ceremonial use. Some of the mounds were positioned to line up with the sun on the horizon at sunrise and sunset on certain days of the year, including the solstices and equinoxes. This alignment has survived the centuries and continues to be observed today. These dates may have been simply to mark the season, but could also have marked time for rituals and ceremonies. The intentionality of construction carries through to a standardized unit of measurement, 155.8 feet, which has been observed in many places throughout the site, including in the size and placement of the mounds, as well as the length of the embankment. While we don't know a lot about the prehistoric occupation of the mounds, we do know quite a bit about their history from the late 1840s onward. In 1848, the land upon which the mounds stand was purchased by William P. Officer. Upon his death, the land was passed to his wife, Mary Eliza, who remarried a man named Gilbert Knapp. Through the 1850s, farming reduced the height of the mounds. However, Eliza was a well-read and cultured woman and knew there was something special about the site, though she did attribute them to the wrong people. During the late 1800s, Mesoamerican archaeology was very in vogue, and having read about these people, Eliza contributed the construction of the mounds to the Toltec people of Mexico. Unfortunately, people at the time didn't think that Native Americans of the eastern United States were culturally advanced enough to have built monumental constructions like the mounds. Meanwhile, sites like Chichen Itza and Tikal were being written about in popular books throughout the mid-19th century, so people understood that those civilizations did build monumental constructions. In 1876, Eliza reported the site to Joseph Henry, secretary of the Smithsonian Institution. In 1879 and 1882, archaeologists from the Peabody Museum of Harvard University and the Bureau of Ethnology of the Smithsonian explored the site. Other studies followed, but none discovered whole pottery vessels or other distinctive artifacts, so interest in the site waned. By 1883, the research had provided sufficient evidence to prove that the mounds had, in fact, been built by Native Americans of the Southeast not the Toltecs. However, by that point, the name Toltec had been adopted by residents to describe that area. Or a version of it. Um, Toltec seems to be the, the, the typical pronunciation. In 1888, when a railroad was built near the site, Eliza, her husband, and her son, Eustace Officer, named the railway station Toltec. The name, or a version of it, continues to be used for the area, and it was adopted as a name when the site became a state park in the 1970s. In 1966, archaeologists with the University of Arkansas Museum conducted an excavation that provided enough information that they were able to determine the time during which the mounds had been occupied. However, they did not find any evidence to explain why the site was abandoned or where the Plum Bayou people went. Through a partnership between the Arkansas Archaeological Survey and Arkansas State Parks, the site continues to be studied, and likely will be for uh, quite a long time. So over the past two weeks here on Mapstronaut Bonus, we've been discussing the indigenous cultures that have inhabited Arkansas, working chronologically from the Paleo-Indian period. Now we've arrived at the Woodland period, and 
there's a lot to talk about. Seriously, I have 11 pages of bullet point notes about this topic, and I'm going to try to condense it slightly because... Honestly, I talk about this at work all the time, and this week was exhausting to prepare for and write because it totally obliterated the boundary between work and recreation for me. So my sincerest apologies in advance if I don't get too in the weeds or if I do get too in the weeds on this week's episode. Uh, Anyway, let's go. 